This episode is brought to you by The Safe House Chicago. The Safe House invites you to experience Chicago's number one spy-themed bar and restaurant located in the heart of River North. Your next late-night mission should include a stop at The Safe House, where you can sip on giant shareable cocktails, dance the night away to our live DJ, and exit through our top-secret laser maze. Named Chicago's most Instagrammable restaurant, don't miss out on the fun every Friday and Saturday night. For more information, visit safehousechicago.com. Hello, scientists. This is Mark, Dottore's idiot roommate, with a little update for the faithful listeners out there. If you follow Blaster Podcast on Twitter, you've probably learned that I'm working to change careers and move into web development. I've worked at the same science museum for 10 years. It's awesome. It was the birthplace of Blaster Podcast, but now it is time for this little sacamon to evolve. Between my current work responsibilities, learning to code, and hunting for a new career, my podcasting time has been really limited. Don't worry, true Blaster Apostles, this is not the end of the podcast. It is, however, the beginning of a slower episode release schedule. Think of it like the Tylenol that hits you slower but lasts all day long. In 2018, I tried to release an episode on the 15th of every month. Sometimes I couldn't meet that deadline. And I really don't want to disappoint you folks by putting out stuff that is late, or worse, that's poorly edited. So, in 2019, I plan to publish episodes about every six weeks instead of every month. I intend this slowdown to be temporary and only last until I've found a new job and have a more stable schedule. In the past couple of years, some of my favorite podcasts have either ended or dramatically shifted formats, and when that happens, it feels like an old friend has moved away. It's understandable, everything changes, but it makes me sad, and I don't want you to feel that way. So please, stay on board, stay subscribed, Recommend the show to everybody you know who has ears. If you hang in there for me, I promise that I will hang in there for you too. Happy New Year, scientists. Mark out. Sexually! Thank you, Dottore. You, Dottore. episode is all about semiconductors. These are electrical things, and if you care about electricity, you're in for a real heartthrob. Speaking of heartthrobs, <laughs> let's welcome today's guest all the way from the southern area of the United States that they, they call Louisiana. Let us thank and greet Ryan Caligari. Hello, hello. Hello, Ryan. How are you, Dottore? I am Dottore. Thank you very much. How are you? I am Ryan. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm, oh, we could get at this all night, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, you are a man who's from Louisiana. Is that correct? I am a nice young boy from Louisiana. Yes. Now, do you frequent the area that I have come to know as New Orleans? New Orleans, yes. We are known for our parlines and our grumbo. Your grumbo. I, I met Grumbo once. He beat me in an arm wrestling match. Don't mess with Grumbo on Saturdays downtown. Yeah, um, my idiot roommate went to New Orleans. He stayed in the French Quarter, and he had a real vomity time. Really? Did he go to the vomit parlor? <laughs> he turned his hotel room into the vomit parlor. <laughs> 
Oh, well, I think I have actually crossed paths with your roommate before, and he's a very nice man. He's good at team-building exercises like escape rooms. So next time he comes down, send him my way, and we can do another one. You know how's come he got so good at escape room? Yes. <laughs> because I'm always trapping him in a room, and that snake-like bastard keeps on escaping. You got to record the podcast somehow without him disturbing you. I know. I I hang the snock on the door, and I'm you know I'm like, do not disturb, man. And he comes in, and he's like, this is not technically your residence. You need to pay rent. Well, when you hang like, the snake on the door, it does a slow rendition of the Jurassic Park scene, where it slowly turns the doorknob with its head, and then mm-hmm. kind of just slaps onto the ground afterwards and lets Mark out. That's. I think he's a parcel mouth, <laughs> and what I mean is at night I like to stick envelopes in down his throat to try to. Kill him, alien style. Only does UPS ground. <laughs> um, hey, Ryan. I, I, I have been besmirching your native town. Tell me a good thing about living in New Orleans. Uh, it only turned below 50 degrees today in November. That's Whoa. the great part. Here in Chicago, Illinois, it was a high of 32 degrees. And for you British listeners, that's cold enough to freeze off a witch's titty. They still have a witch problem over there? <laughs> In England, I think they do. Okay. <laughs> Gotta get rid of them witch titties. But yes, uh, actually, the one thing I like most about New Orleans, well, I could probably name a lot of things, like, eh, downtown's fun, I guess, but there are other places that are a little bit less uh, loud, obnoxious, and piss-smelling downtown, or uh, idiot roommate var- mark-smelling, what, mm-hmm. uh, downtown. But uh, I like the weather, because I cannot handle cold whatsoever. You're a hot boy. I'm a hot boy. (laughs) I'm a very hot young boy. Like seven inches from the midday sun. (laughs) So, Ryan, you're not just here because of your heat or your locale. You are here uh, because you've met my idiot roommate when he was doing the Blurry Photos live show, um, which I... I highly discouraged him from doing. I feel like being on any other podcast is like cheating on a spouse. It should only be done with masks. Well, he was wearing a mask on stage, right? Uh, I mean, I thought that was his face. Wait, fuck, is that I how was he there. looks? <laughs> <laughs> you should have tugged on it. I tried to over a pizza while very drunk with your idiot roommate, Mark, and very nice guy, and just kept offering me pizza every time I denied it, but... Five minutes, it was like clockwork, just offered more pizza. Don't know where he got it from. Yeah, he seemed to be uh, too drunk to exist. He spent the, that night on the bathroom floor of his home. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it wasn't too far away from that. Uh, he is a generous host and one that knows how to fill the post-show with mirth. Oh, good. Good. Um, well, we don't have any mirth on this show. This show is about science! Okay. To wit, we are going to be talking today about a thropic that is very scientific Let me skip ahead to point number three. We'll come back to point number two, Ryan, okay? Okay. Today's thropic is semiconductors. Now let me ask you, what attributes do you possess that make you qualified to speak upon it? Well, by trade, I am an analytical chemist, so I know a little bit about electrons, and I am also a budding and soon-to-be-blossoming electrical engineer with a focus in computer engineering. So I uh, am usually cramming and losing my mind over this type of thing. You're budding? Do you I'm... produce asexually? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you want to watch me split? I can turn the camera on. 
Um, I'm good. I just ate. Come on. And I just ate. Meiosis um, is cool. Yeah, Meiosis is fine. <laughs> <coughs> so, yeah, you're like um one of the few guests qualified to talk about the thing that we're talking about on the show. I would hardly say I'm even that, but okay. Congratulamos. But right. you're not just a, a, a man of electric and engineering. You're also a fellow broadcaster. Yes, I am a podcaster. And the podcast that I do is I make uh, a podcast called Rumor Flies with a couple of friends. And what we do is we explore the myths, misconceptions, and old wives' tales across many topics across history and the modern day. Anything from Disney to death to food to movies to music to film, which I guess, depending on how obnoxious you are, might not be movies. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, Blade Runner won. Great movie. What did Blade Runner win? One good movie, in my opinion. Okay. Just listen, Ryan. (laughs) In my opinion, Blade Runner 2049. Great film. You see what I did? That one's about the football team, right? (laughs) Yes. And the fat guy who um, has the shotgun on himself later? Yes. I'm thinking of Varsity Boobs. Oh, yeah, you're right. Eggs. (laughs) Eggs. Eggs. Um. So yes, Ryan, you do a very interesting show about rumens and myths, and so it's a natural that you would eventually collide into Chicago's number one podcast, Blurry Photos, and and therefore meet me, a, a great hanger on to that show. Yes, I went over there and I told uh, David of Blurry Photos, oh, you run a great podcast. I really like your podcast. Let's be friends. And he immediately accosted me verbally and physically. You (laughs) went and found me in a corner and had a drink with me and took me in and made me, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't you. It was your very similar looking idiot idiot roommate. roommate. I'm sorry. You guys match together so well. I mean, we're like, you know that Stephen Ching uh, uh, magazine called The Dark Half? <laughs> yes. S- starring John Lithgow? Um, we're like that. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Understood the relationship and the dynamic. You might see, like, uh, my idiot roommate Mark walking across the street, and maybe there's, um, like, an open umbrella turned sideways in front of his chest so it looks like he has a fine and voluminous ponce. Um, and you're like, Dottore! And then he turns and you see that hideous visage, and you're like, oh, it's Mark. I think the Never trick mind. is to look out for the hat. The hat? Oh, yes, I have a scholar's mortarboard cap. That's you it. gotta look out. You gotta look out for it, cause I'll throw it at you like odd job <laughs> from the film James Bond. No odd job, only... no golden gun, only slaps. <laughs> Slappers only. <coughs> okay. Well, enough of this bullshit, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, in all in all fairness, um, you also do your podcast with uh, other humans. Yes, my friend Josh and my friend Gregory who is a great producer, and Josh is a great co-host, and they are, they're good friends, and they are also very kind young boys. Yeah, Gregory, not a great co-host, great producer. Mm-hmm. Loves comic books. Doesn't talk much, doesn't let him. Nor should he. <laughs> and Josh, he's like, uh, looks like a handsomer, younger guy from Smorshmorth. Yeah, yes, exactly. That was a very apt description of Josh. It is great for the podcast. His looks mean everything. <laughs> so when you listen to uh, Rumor Files, 
everyone. Uh, <laughs> just imagine Josh is the guy from Smorshmorth, but a little younger, a little more handsome. No taken. Like Smorshmorth. Smorshmorth. Would you consider changing your broadcast name to Rumor Fuss? Sorry, you cut out for a second. Would you consider changing your podcast name to Rumor Fuss? And just be fussy mm. about rumors? Just really fuss we it are, up? We are already fussy about rumors and very judgmental, and sometimes we are a little bit callous towards some people involved in these rumors, but uh, Rumor Fuss isn't that bad. I don't Maybe. know where uh, it would correlate to the uh, any term or anything involving rumors, but it, I, that's what being original is, I guess. Maybe you could um, just uh, chop down the length of some pre-existing episodes and like, uh, do you swear on your show? Do you cuss? Fuck yeah. I forget. Yeah, okay, bleep out the cusses, and that, that's the version for kids, and it's called Rumor Fuss. Yes, and then if you donate enough on Patreon, our $5,000 level, we will personally pick you up on the Rumor Bus and record with you. Yeah, and they'll fuss you all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, heck anyway. and night. $5,000 level on Patreon. Yes. Wow, you guys are running a real nerdist empire. A bus costs $5,000, right? I don't know. What am I, a busman? That's what I am asking you. (laughs) Do I have a corbuscular nature? Uh, No, you don't have a very much bus-shaped frame. You have more of a science-minded frame. Thank you. I have the volume necessary for a scholar of my dimension. Your brain's so dense. Thank you. Uh, uh, Ryan, do you know what time it is? It's turning lime. Mm, Fuck, learning time. (laughs) No, not yet. It's right now. It's time for terms. Oh, okay. Before we can learn anything, we need to know some of the industry jargon. And so we're going to... (laughs) <laughs> this industry jargon. What would you like to know about it? We're gonna uh, 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 isolate a few distinct terms, so if our listeners have never heard of anything before, they won't be confused when we get into the real hard horse learning. Yes. Okay. Term number one: electron. Yes, electrons are known as a subatomic particle. Everything in the world is made up of atoms, and those atoms have things in them called. Protons, neutrons, and electrons, electrons being the smallest of them. And for the purposes of this episode, we are going to treat electrons as the lifeblood of electronics. Everything that you are using right now to listen to this podcast runs on electrons. It is what flows through it to give it life and make it do the things that it does. Uh, They happen to kind of hang out at the outside of an atom. So if you have a helium atom, you are going to have one electron just hanging around in the cloud, which we will get to in a second. But essentially, they are these teeny tiny things that are responsible for making all of your millennial technology work. Hmm. Now, isn't it true, Ryan, that our human bodies have nerves through which electrons pass? Yes, uh, we have neurons, which actually do transmit electrons with electrical uh, pulses, along with your heart and any other autonomous functions. Electrons are doing the job that you're not thinking about. Uh, what, at would a very, what would happen? What would happen if all the electrons stopped, stopped doing their job and you're burning? If they want a little tiny electron strike? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You would go on a little electron stroke and die. Oh, okay. Well, food for thought. <laughs> 
No thoughts um, with no electrons. That's true. Let's move on from the election to talk about conductors. What is a conductor? A conductor is a man that drives a train. <laughs> oh, Ryan, he certainly is. Uh, so anyway, a conductor is <laughs> a certain material that manages to uh, transfer electrons very, very efficiently, almost to the point where it just gives it up for nothing. Like, it'll just be able to pass electrons through to another atom, no problem. The conductor's kind of like a little scrumpet. <laughs> yes. Conductor's a scrumpet. And on the other side of it, let's go to the prude of the atomic world, the insulator. Oh, boy. Here we go. Puritans. The insulator does not like to interact with anybody. It is like a little Japanese neat stuck inside of its basement and not wanting to interact with anybody or give up any of its electrons. It is very good at not passing any sort of energy in the form of either heat or electricity through it. Did you say it's like a little Japanese neep? Neat. N-E-E-T. What's not, that? Not employed, educated, or trained. Whoa. So like a millennial Japanese person. Hey. That's <laughs> actually you are getting trained. You're you're becoming a bud. I, I'm gonna become the best bud you can imagine, and then I'm gonna lose weight and become Bud Light. Ooh. All right. <laughs> now, Ryan. <clears throat> now that we've isolated and extubliated those terms, now do you know what time it is? It is turning line, learning time. God damn it, Ryan, it's time for learn. Time for learn. Lime for turns. <laughs> have you caught the disease? Let's make margaritas. Have you caught, <laughs> have you caught the Culex virus? Do you need it? Yeah. I can let it go. <laughs> Ryan, what are semiconductors? Semiconductors are very tiny train operators. Otherwise, God fucking damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Semiconductors are somebody who directs an orchestra of half erections. God! Every, what, is this show business comedy hour? Ah! I, th I thought you were the science. Semiconductors are a material that, in a general state without any push or energy applied to it, are very poor conductors. They are the insulators or the neats. However, when you apply a little bit of energy, or maybe a lot of it, depending on the semiconductor, you will have uh, the properties of a conductor. So this energy can either be in, let's say, electricity or heat. Those are the two main ones. And uh, they go, and the way they work is every sort of atom has different energy states that electrons can inhabit. And you just need this little bit of push of energy in the form of, once again, either more electricity or heat that can transfer into the atom and push these electrons to a higher energy state. Once they have this, uh, once they are at this state, uh, ultimately known as an energy band, they can have the properties of a conductor and start passing on other electricity. Let me bake it down real quick before we get too deep in this thicket. Okay. A, semi a semiconductor, when it's just chilling out, no one's bothering it, as a neat person in Japan who has no job. It doesn't conduct electricity. It's just hanging out. Yes. Not contributing in the slightest. But then when you add energy, like the swift kick in the butt by your senpai, then it starts doing its job in conducting electricity. 
Yes, uh, semiconductors are the friend where if they are exposed to enough shochu and highballs and Japanese whiskey, they will become social with other atoms. This is a wonderful analogy because we have a ton of otaku listening. Right? That's right. Okay, so you were saying they have energy brands? Yes. Is, is that like um, Monster or Venom? Yes. Uh, no, not at all. Does, does so, it give you wings? <laughs> uh, no, I prefer the Red Bull. But no, so energy bands are the certain levels in the atom that the electrons can inhabit. Like if you think about it, they like to call it the electron cloud, but there are different levels to this cloud, like the ionosphere, the stratosphere, and the other spheres. Like, I'm not a weatherman, so I don't know all of them, but you got those two that I said. Like uh, heaven. Yes, like heaven. Like if you are pretty good, you just hang out near the gates. But if you are really good, you get to sit on the right hand of the father. And he likes to tickle you a little bit, if you know what I mean. Well, it's interesting that you would say that because energy bands are a kind of strange phenomenon where they can only take discrete states. And say there are four different energy bands for... There are four different energy bands. Okay. (laughs) I said it. For an atom. And... uh, Generally, the electrons cannot be anywhere in between those bands. They can only be at one, two, three, or four. They cannot be on their way to two and a half. They cannot be on their way to three and a half. They can only be in one, two, three, or four, which is not a very common thing that you see in the natural world. There is no like hard rules where it can only be this and not this. There, there are no decimals in energy bands. Everything's an integer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they have so problems no, with floating points. There's no Harry Potter bullshit of being like on floor one and a half. No, 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 no. They do not like that wizardry and witchcraft devil work. <clears throat> no, so they just snap into their appropriate brands. And, uh, you know, what, 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 who, who cares? What does that even, how does that even affect one's conductivity? So this affects one's conductivity because the, one of the energy bands, two in particular actually, are the valence band of electrons and the conductive band. Now, in conductors, this can be the same thing. The valence band and the conductive band are practically the same. And what this means is that once electrons reach a uh, very higher energy band on the atom in the electron cloud, they can actually have the chance to either escape the atom and go to the electronic cigarette store and never come back to the rest of their electron family, or they have the chance to share these bands or the valence shell with other atoms. Now, semiconductors are strange because there is something called the Fermi level, which de- determines whether something is a valence band, which for a nonmetal is just the last sh- uh, electron shell on top of an atom. And Wait it a still minute, doesn't electrons do have shells? Yes. Aren't they like, aren't they like the crabs of the subatomic world? It's like one of those, uh, what are those chocolates that you get at the store that they have the little uh, hazelnuts and they have the, uh, the nougat in them too and then the chocolate at the very center. Wow, I can't remember the name of them. They're in little th- balls. They have I shells. Think, I think you might be thinking of a Cadbury egg, I'm which not unfortunately thinking... I got one the other day and it had a um, undeveloped Cadbury's zygote in it. It you was could... That's a delicacy disturbing. in the Philippines. You can make Cadbury blood out of that. <laughs> the fertilized ones are great. Yeah, but you got to wear that hood when you eat it so that God can't see your sin. Mm-hmm. I haven't been buying those hoods. Anyway, <laughs> so... 
I'm going to stop saying energy bands. I'm going to start saying shells because valence shell is the more commonly used term. So the valence shell is the last shell of the atom where the electrons can inhabit for uh, insulators. They don't really do anything. They're just at the top level. However, for semiconductors, there is a level right there for the valence shell where it can cross over into being a conductive band shell. And when it's at that level, it can go ahead and share electrons and be a little bit flues with the other atoms. And this is how atomic bonds happen and become molecules. Now, so the, this is important. Oh, yep. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> it's okay. We're recording. <laughs> you, can t- <laughs> you can tell me the important thing. No, it's fine. <laughs> now, okay. Uh, the band shell. Uh, electrons have shells. We all know this. Yes. You, you need like to chuck it. If you want to get into the sweet, tender electron meat. You ever shucked um, a turtle? <clears throat> no. I never shucked a thing in my life. Only toward sick? high? <laughs> I, I, I have shucked a, um, uh, what do you call those? Uh, Galapagos um, uh, men? Oh, oh man. <laughs> you know, the, those old guys that go around on the Galapagos Islands that wear the rock on their back? You shucked Darwin? <laughs> Yeah, do you mean the dolphin from Sequest? Darwin the dolphin. <laughs> uh, um, uh, we're getting off tropic. Shells are like levels of electrons around an atom, around a nucleus. Yes. Yes, okay. Because I just want to make sure that we're not talking about, you know, like chitinous membranes. Yes. And the, the electrons that are on the farthest shell are the most likely to run away from their home. Yes, they are. They are the Kevin. No, they wouldn't be the Kevin McAllister because he stayed home. Hmm. They'd, they'd be the um the, uh the, the Kevin Sorbo. Yes, <laughs> they're the Kevin Sorbos of the subatomic world. He did go on an epic quest. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me, my idiot roommate continues to cough with his endless pneumonia. And he's been fixing you coffee by coughing in it. That's what he's been... He's been doping me. Oh, that's topical. <laughs> Is it topical? Yes, it's very topical. Well, that's good. I thought it was um, uh, 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 administered through pill form. Um, Ryan. Rind? Hmm? The Torre? <laughs> Rind. <clears throat> We've got semiconductors. Okay. They've got bands. Electron bands. They've got electron shells. What's in between the shells? Nothing. Empty space. Space? The final frontier? The final frontier. So, um, in an insulator, that space acts as, like, a bridge too high. Like, you remember in the movie by Christian Bale with the Dark Knight when he's in that prison, which is just a, a, a hole, and he has to climb out with a broken back? Yes. That's like the the space in between the electron shell. Yes, it's like the unreachable <laughs> thing for insulators, where if an electron tries to get out, there's just somebody that reaches their foot out of a hole and steps on his fingers every like little grip that he holds on to, and then Ouch. he falls every time. That's How like w- what happened in Blade Runner, that great movie. Yes. Blade Runner <laughs> 1 what? Blade Runner 1.0, that good movie. <laughs> okay. Remember when that bad Aryan stepped on uh, Han Solo's hands? And talked about rain for too long? 
Yeah, well, he was getting, you know, he was like short on time and he wanted to just, he, he didn't push to GitHub, so he wanted to just like really reiterate his code one last time. Well, he had a lot to do with semiconductors. Did he? Yes, he did. He was <laughs> made up Roy, of them. Roy Batty had something to do with semiconductors? Uh, Roy Batty did, but he got, uh, he got killed pretty fast, didn't he? Or did he just shoot that nice uh, detective man in the beginning? Hmm. Mm. I'm getting all my are, androids mixed up. Are you talking about the novelization of that film? No, that happened, right? Oh, the the dumb guy who uh, was confused about the tortoise. That he wasn't Roy that. Batty? No, Roy Batty was the Billy Idol-looking mofo who was oh, like the, lead, okay. the evil leader of the gang. It's interesting what they looked like in the 80s because their idea of like a very muscular man still did not have a six-pack, but at least was pretty flat. It was, it was very interesting seeing how he was the uh, ideal... Uh, person, even though he was an android. That's a good point. I mean, I could see, like, a tough guy, someone who's, like, a street thug who is tough and strong. Like, they wouldn't necessarily have a six-pack because they're not working out the prestige muscles. They're just yeah. working out the the beat-down muscles. But yes. a robot that is designed to be perfect, you know, by modern standards, would have a six-patch. <laughs> yes. Maybe in the um the dystopian future of Blade Runner, uh, the year twenty seventeen, um maybe the human beauty standards had evolved beyond the one percent body fat. Uh, six battery pack. Nice. Have you been working on that in the lab? <laughs> While I've been monologuing. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Um. <clears throat> all right. Enough about batteries not included. Let's talk about this gap. Oh, no, I love that movie. Sorry, continue. <laughs> you just love movies about the elderly. I do. I love Cocoon. <laughs> you love Cocoon? Yes. <laughs> never grow old and you never die. Um. So, okay, these gaps, these gaps. This is the problem, Marty. Um, the electrons can't get through, but in a semiconductor, conductor, they can. Yes, they definitely can. With a little bit of help. From their so, friends. Yes. With a little, they, they, the electrons will get by and out with a little bit of help from their friends. So the way that uh, semiconductors work is, as we said, once enough energy is applied to them in the form of other electrons, they can kind of help give the ones in the valence or conductor shell a little bit of a push and they become conductors and can freely flow and communicate with other atoms and interact with them. Uh, the way this works is that uh, generally in a lot of modern technology now, we use semiconductors to make things called, am I getting too ahead of this and saying transistors? No, you're not. Tell us about transistor and not just that hot 311 song from the 1990s. <laughs> uh, the twisted transistor. So this is a, this is the most important thing in computing technology in, I would say, all time, if not actual, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I really think that aside from modern medicine, transistors are the most important invention that mankind has made. Whoa! Because yes, I. Will... What about sliced bread? Sliced bread is a close sixth, but okay. after that, uh, I would say transistors are a tie for first or second, <laughs> aside from modern medicine as a whole. But Number transistors one. helped with that. Modern medicine as a whole, number two, transistors. <laughs> yes. One, okay. one and a half is transistors. 
I will write it down on my list of things that Ryan covets. I don't covet it. I'm not jealous. I'm not the jealous type. Don't so, become an enemy of me, Ryan. I, I will destroy all transistors. You're going to find a reverse genie to take every transistor in modern medicine away from me? Is a reverse, uh, a reverse genie someone who takes away your wishes? He can only grant the wish if it hurts someone else. Oh, like a monkey's paw. Yes, but the monkey's paw usually ends up hurting you at least in some way, emotionally. So, transistors are made up of semiconductors. And to, I guess, elaborate a little bit on this is transistors are the little tiny neurons inside of a computer or a CPU, as we would say. And essentially what transistors have become is little tiny abacuses, abacai? Abacuses? Uh, I, I don't know the Pokemon evolution of this one. Um, <laughs> what is it? It's got the spoons, and then you, it it becomes a um, Kadabra? Little abacuses that become light curse words. So they uh, they essentially are the tiny little computing mechanisms inside of the CPU that runs your computer or smartphone or microprocessor in your refrigerator. Just about anything. And all these really do is compute little tiny equations like adding, subtracting, multiplication's a little bit hard for them to do as well, and division. They do it, but it's lots of adders and subtractors. It's little tiny, tiny uh, abacuses working together to make something that can compute way better than any human ever will be able to. Wait, Rhizome. Yes? The abacus is is a good analogy for how transistors take the physical world and turn it into the abstraction of doing a math equation. However, uh, most of my listeners are hip young millennials, and they might have never seen Arabicus. So we need to just, like, real quick say it's that thing that looks like a little uh, child's toy that you see where you move the little beads around. I I like the ones in the doctor's office more. (laughs) (laughs) The the swirls. The loopy loop. Yeah, yes. so you you slide over the beads, and that lets you uh, perform various math equations. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes the beads give you pleasure, Ryan. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that one on adamandeve.com. But, because uh, math is pleasure! Yes. <laughs> so uh, transistors are made up of semiconductors, which is why we were talking about semiconductors for so long. Oh. And the most common types of transistors are either... N-type or P-type, and I will explain those by saying that just uh, the most famous semiconductor that we use for transistors is silicon, and silicon by itself is not a very good semiconductor. It actually doesn't do much at all in its purest form. So what they need to do is when they make these semiconductors, uh, the way a modern transistor is made is that you dip a rod into liquid silicon and pull it out, let it dry up, chop it into discs, and then they laser cut these little tiny transistors onto them, uh, either laser cut or chemically cut them. And they are very, 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 very tiny, so much so that there are about 2 billion transistors on a modern computer processing unit. Whoa! Yes. So that that one inch by one inch little square has about 2 billion little calculators in it. Wow. Yes. And the way they do this is that these these transistors work by means of conducting electricity 
if and only if enough electricity is applied to them in some way, shape, or form. Now, like I was saying, silicon is not a very good conductor by itself. It cannot just make a transistor. So what they have to do is they have to add some impurities to these silicon crystals they cut into little wafers. And they do that by adding either phosphorus, uh, most commonly, or boron on the other side of it. And if they add phosphorus to these crystals, these valence bands of the uh, silicon are able to have an extra electron. Because in a valence band of a silicon atom, you have four electrons. However, in phosphorus, you have five. So when it comes to all lining up in a nice little grid, putting a little phosphorus atom inside of that crystal will add another little electron that has nowhere to go and starts bouncing around between all the different electrons. It's an agent but, of chaos. Yes, it's an agent of chaos that just kind of goes around and ruins families with all the other happy silicon atoms. So that is called negative type doping or uh, N-type uh, semiconductor. Because Wait a minute. You just used the word doping. Are you talking about like illegal... Uh, performance-enhancing drugs? Yes, Lance Armstrong solely makes the semiconductors for us now. I will not hear you besmirch the name of the first man who stepped on the moon. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but the truth sometimes hurts. Are you it ready does. to handle Yes, yes, it does. And the reason why this is called uh, negative doping is because it is an extra electron in that whole lattice of atoms. And electrons are known to be negative, where positrons are positive and also very rare. Now, positive type doping is when you add a boron, which has only three valence electrons. So it cannot match up with the other silicons because it has one spot missing, and they generally call us a hole that another electron can come and fill in. So it's kind of like looking at like a, like a ping pong ball, just going through a bunch of filled holes with other ping pong balls and trying to find its way into the empty space. Tell but, me more about this filled, <laughs> these holes filled with ping pong balls analogy. It's, uh, where, where, where do we encounter that? The beer pong. <laughs> so if you want to look at a beer pong table, look at a bunch of cups that are filled up with ping pong balls and then a, a couple that don't have any ping pong balls in them. Okay. And assume these are really bouncy ping pong balls. You throw one out, it'll keep bouncing from all the filled cups into an unfilled cup. But eventually you keep just throwing them and these other ping pong balls get knocked out of other cups and make more holes. And that's just generally how electrons flow. It's a, a, a constant series of either one extra one being available or one hole being available and then other electrons jumping to it. But that makes another hole and then the cycle continues. Now, the way transistors work is, for the easier terms, is you have a N-type, a P-type, and an N-type all sandwiched together, like section, like a crystal of an N-type, which is the negative, a crystal of the positive type, and a crystal of the negative type, all stacked together. And the way these are set up is that you have enough electricity applied to these transistors so that uh, electrons flow only when you reach a certain voltage. Now, an easy analogy for this is just imagine a container, like a little tub, okay. with two walls in it so it makes three compartments. You have your left compartment, your middle compartment, and your right compartment. Yeah, we've all put walls into a little tub before. Yes, yeah, so or just have like a little cubby. And uh, the middle compartment 
it has a pipe connected to the left compartment so that liquid can flow back. So let's just start filling it, filling the left compartment with liquid. What's your favorite liquid? Duh, human blood. Human blood. I. Thought it's the Pepsi of the heart. So we have a uh, two compartment. The left compartment and the right compartment are filled with human blood. Of course. And then the middle one is empty. The middle one is the one with the holes in it. So the way this works is, since there is a pipe from the middle compartment feeding back into the left compartment, if you start pouring blood into the left compartment to the point where it overflows into the middle compartment, the -hmm. blood starts flowing in. If you only pour a little bit at a time and really not that much, the blood will go into that pipe and flow back into the left compartment. This is considered to be lower voltage. And I guess I should have said this from the top, but in terms of electronics, the easiest way to look at electricity is in terms of a garden hose. Current is just like in water. A treat electron is water or blood, the lifeblood. So okay. electrons are water and you are trying to put this water through a garden hose. There, and Ohm's law says that voltage equals to current divided by resistance. And what that is, resistance is the width of the garden hose. The voltage is how much water you are putting through the hose, and the current is how fast you are flowing that water. So you can control these three different factors by altering the other. So if you have a very wide hose with like about a gallon of water, it's just kind of going to plop out of that hose. But if you narrow down that hose via resistance, it'll flow out a bit faster, assuming you keep the same flow rate, which is current. Back to this tub. Back to the tub of blood. If you flow too much blood at once into the tub, it will keep flowing and flowing and flowing into the middle compartment and eventually fill up that pipe that goes into the left compartment, but it'll Mm -hmm. keep flowing and go into the right compartment. And at that point, this is when a transistor is active and allows for more blood to flow onto the rest of the circuit that it is in. So it's essentially just overcoming this certain level of needed electricity in order for this to happen. It's a little gatekeeper for electricity to flow anywhere else. Now, the way transistors work is, generally you can have them in a combination where they have things called AND and OR gates where there are four different states that these transistors can work in unison with. Uh, These gates are how computers do their math. Uh, Generally, you need at least two transistors to make an AND gate. And what happens is you apply enough electricity to the first transistor, it is going to flow current to the rest of the actual gate. You apply enough current to the other one, it'll be enough to actually make that gate turn on and do a mathematical equation. Um, In the binary world or the computing world, we go this into ones and zeros. On is one, zero is off. With an AND gate, you can have... 1, 1, which would allow it to actually flow. 1, 0, which is not enough to flow because there is not enough current. Uh, 0, 1, still not enough. Or 0, 0, which is completely off. You follow me here, Dottore? Of or course do I I'm following down? you. Okay. I've been okay. looking through your window this whole time. They have a curtain on it. How? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm not physically there. It's, it's my familiar. So the reason why this is so important is because with this simple logic of ones and zeros, you can do just about any mathematical equation if you arrange these transistors in a sensible enough way. And this is known as uh, computer architecture. 
really in terms of computer language, it's all transistors that are able to do these little calculations. And then these calculations on the hardware talk to something called the computer language, which is just a very lower language. which is known as a assembly uh, for most people in the computing world, which can be translated into a higher language, which is can be C, C++, Java, anything like that. And then to even other higher languages. And like it's just Lothlorien, the yes. tongue, tongue of the elves. And uh, there's a software in the computer called a compiler that translates every command that somebody programs into a software into this computer language of ones and zeros that is transmitted to the hardware, which does all the little electrical pulses that make whatever you're looking at on your screen show up or make the sound that you're hearing through your headphones right now sound the way it does. So This is really complicated for something that seems so ordinary and mundane to us is listening to your favorite podcast. Yeah, yes, exactly. The strange part about computers is that really they are a bunch of very dumb, simple, basic parts put together at a very, 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 very small level, which means that they can just cooperate in the billions and eventually doing a math equation or just display something on a screen. It's kind of like the, what is it? If you have an infinite amount of monkeys and an infinite amount of typewriters, yeah, uh, then... they will eventually write a Shakespeare play. It's like that, but with a little bit more direction. It's like a hive mind. You know, like in Star Trek, the Borge, the Victor Borge. Yes. It, treat your computer as a little anthill that only does math. Because that's really <laughs> all computer language is. It's just math. And what an uh, unfun bunch of ants, right? I've always liked to see what a fire uncle would look like, but um, so what is it? Okay, so we're back to talking about transistors. Why is this important? Why is silicon a big deal? It's because as computers get more and more complicated, we need to add more and more transistors to our uh, CPUs. And they need more and more energy put into them to power those transistors. Mm -hmm. And there is a limit by means of resistance where heat and electricity gets lost, judging by how much you are stacking up in there. You have to put more power in there, and a lot of it gets dissipated. Just the way most light bulbs aren't strictly emitting light. They're emitting heat. If you grab a regular you know, incandescent light bulb, you're going to get burned. Whereas opposed to an LED that is more heat efficient, you might not get burned if you grab it, but it still is putting out a little bit of warmth when really you just want light out of that. And uh, transistors can be involved in uh, light circuitry too. It's a, it's a really big deal in getting these transistors smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to do more operations and to do them faster. Now the issue that we are getting in the computing world right now is that something called Moore's Law is breaking down. We're all so, familiar with Moore's Law. It's the law of when you can turn on the world with your smile, you can take a nothing day and suddenly make it seem worthwhile. And at the end, you throw up your hat in the air. What? Ma Mary Tyler Moore Show <laughs> reference? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, uh, not, <laughs> not current enough. I, I haven't watched that show since my grandma died, so. <laughs> uh, well. It's okay. I don't mean to imply that the two are related, but maybe you shouldn't have been watching that show. I mean, I did get beat for watching it too much. It was too risque for her. That hat was too much. Uh, <laughs> That's, that was a hot hat. Yeah, right? I wish there were more of them. It was oh, a wait, saucy beret. Moore's Law! <laughs> uh, oh! So, 
Yeah, right. There we go. Uh, you know, so- when I'm at like a Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, I look into my tiny like four ounce tub of like cabbage and mayo, oftentimes I'm like Moore's Law. <laughs> Moore's Law. Yes. Uh, mayo Slaw or Vinegar Slaw or Mustard Slaw. I actually don't like coleslaw, uh, so I, I don't know the different uh, factions. Do you like coleslaw or hot slaw? You know, I'd prefer that they heat up my slaw before they give it to me. I feel like coleslaw is something you feed a prisoner. Do you like Winslaw or nuclear slaw? I like Carl Winslaw. <laughs> you know, the dad on Family Monsters? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so Moore's Law, in the modern interpretation, is... That uh, it, it's currently the understanding by most computer scientists and other physicians. Physicians? No, they have nothing to do with this. Physicists! Other that's the word I'm science. looking for. Yes, other men of science! And women they, of science. They have held that uh, computing technology and the ability uh, has doubled every 18 months consistently for the past 40 years. Computers get gooder? Yes, computing technology, the computing speed, and the number of operations... Uh, per cycle of a CPU is getting more and more complicated and faster and more efficient every 18 months. However, that is starting to not hold true, uh, mainly for two reasons. One of them is a little hard to explain, being that even though CPUs are getting better, the field of uh, rapid access memory, uh, or random access memory, sorry, uh, RAM technology has not exactly increased in parallel with uh, CPU technology. And the problem with that is that when you have certain memory, which is just, okay, let me think if I can break this down easily, is that uh, there's lots of information that needs to be computed. And you can have this information in memory, which is just the place where the CPU can access the variables to do these little calculations. Or you can have memory, a little bit of it, on the actual chip, the actual CPU. Mm-hmm. The CPU memory is very easy to access and very easy to compute and send back to where it needs to be. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. But there's also connections and wires connected from the CPU to either memory or RAM or whatever you want to call it. And that actually takes time to retrieve and send back uh, between operations. And that's really our limiting factor right now. But the other factor that is a problem is that they... Really, with silicon transistors, we can only stuff so many onto a CPU at once before silicon actually stops working like a semiconductor at all. When it reaches a certain uh, thinness or just a certain micrometer of size, these little transistors stop working. They just kind of uh, fizzle out and they burn up. So we're going to hit a rock bottom at one point where we just stop. Now, there are two different groups of thought that are either thinking this is not a big deal in the way that, you know, the first few times somebody tried to invent the wheel, it may have started as a square, then became a hexagon, then became an octagon, till eventually it became a virtually sideless shape that became the wheel. After that, you can't improve on the wheel anymore. All you can do is do variations of it. You can make it uh, have better treads or, you know, smoother treads, depending on what the situation is, but it is still the completed wheel. Sure. This is the way that some people think about, you know, silicon semiconductors, is that we're eventually going to get to this size limit, but we're going to have to find other ways in computer architecture to get around this problem. However, there are other people that are saying we can look to other materials, which I really do think is the trick. 
And um, after silicon reaches that limit, if we have, don't have that uh, other material to use, we're going to have some issues. A lot of people think the stock market's going to crash or something like that, or just technology will come to a screeching halt. I don't think it's as dramatic as they uh, like to present it in some documentaries, but we'll get to why finding an alternate is so interesting and important. Once hmm. you get things small enough, you can make things like uh, transistors to the point where you can't get to them to this size. You can make things like nanobots, which are quite interesting. Uh, I guess I'll talk about those a little bit later. But really in the search for this new semiconductor that we can use to make transistors with, we have had a very interesting man come into play called Hendrik Sean. Have you heard of him? Uh, just recently, like um, <clears throat> three seconds ago. <laughs> Hendrik Sean was a man working at Bell Laboratories for a while that was actually in line to become a Nobel Prize winner because he was putting about... He was putting out a new scientific publication once about every eight days, which Whoa. is insane. Uh, for reference, I mean, just most people don't put out one a year. No. I mean, I have only been personally involved in two, and I didn't write those. I was involved in them. I, I co-wrote them. And that's not like it, it, it's still a big undertaking. And putting out a paper every eight days means that you are just the real whiz kid. You are the new Einstein. He didn't even put out that that many papers. But aside from the point, Hendrik Sean came up with a revolutionary idea to make a semiconductor out of an organic dye. When I say organic, I do not made made out of meat or made oh, out of plants. Damn it. I mean, it is using carbon. And anything that is organic is made up of carbon. So that mm -hmm. does include humans, animals, and just about anything else that you eat. But it also involves other things like petrochemicals. It involves things like, ah, uh, let's see, um, the pen the lead in your pencil, which will come back into play. That is, hey, there's nothing graphite. wrong with the lead in my pencil, okay? I didn't say anything about it. All right, all right. I'm, I, I'm not judging, man. <clears throat> I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's fine Everything, down there. It's it's cool. I believe you. Uh, don't yeah. Uh, so <laughs> continuing on, uh, the reason why this organic dye was so interesting was because it could be smaller in size than the smallest size of a silicon transistor. Mm -hmm. And it was looking to have the perfect properties of a silicon transistor that where it is just has like the perfect semiconductive properties where very little voltage, very little heat loss, very little electrical loss. And it was like this miracle working that everybody was blown away about it until some meddling kids came in in the form of actual physicists. I don't know if they look just like Thelma and Fred and Scoops, but uh, the way they figured out that something was wrong was that when they were looking over his papers, mainly because they were just jealous and salty and probably pissed off that he was coming up with so much cool shit that they weren't, uh, they started looking at his papers and found out that Hendrik Sean is the worst fraud in probably scientific history. <laughs> That's right. Hendrik Sean is the worst fraud in science, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. You, uh, yeah. I, I couldn't even think of anybody that could compare to him, potentially. <laughs> Nobody I've met or have spoken to or am speaking to now. Damn Skippy. Yes. So it turns out that Hendrik Sean is not a very good fraudster because when these two scientists in particular, who I forgot their name, you only remember the bad guys, uh, 
it, they were looking at his charts in terms of the conductive ability of these transistors that he was supposedly making. And it turns out that they all matched up very well to the point that the noise on the charts, when you look at them, all matched up if you overlaid them with these two different papers that he wrote. So they got up a team of other WizKid nerds and looked through all of his papers, and it turns out he was using pretty much the same graph for just about every publication he made. Hmm. So it turns out that he was fired from Bell Labs, and nobody ever talked to him again, and they turned him upside down, stole his lunch money, gave him a swirly, and sent him on his way. Nobody really knows where Hedrick Sean is right now or what he's doing, but he set us back a good bit in terms of the computer world because everybody was kind of leaning on him for how promising his work was, and it turns out that none of it was true. And it, it just turns out he was just bad at copy-pasting. He didn't even try to make things look different. He was just a straight-up plagiarist of himself or possibly somebody else. I don't know where he got that chart from, but he was just a... It was a very, very big deal. And there's a very good documentary called The Dark Secret of Hedrick Sean if you want to look up anything more about it. It's very dramatic and very uh, mid-2000s History Channel type of gloom and doom dramatic. So it can be very, very interesting in the way they say that we're all going to die because this man lied a little bit. Now, with these transistors... That's why we're all going to die. Where do we have to go from this? Yes, we're all going to die. What are some of the alternatives <laughs> that we can turn to? Yes. How are these transistors going to kill us or help us? Which I can go into some of the applications of that when we start talking about the alternatives. Uh, do you know of any alternatives to these transistors, Tori? I know you're a man of science, of course. Alternatives to transistors? To the silicon transistor. Well, of course, my good man, Gallimimus. Gallimimus? Yeah. What does that just, do? Just like a bird. Um, it doesn't talk. It only tells you what. It only kind of uh, signs to you in a very comical way what can, uh, little computations it's going to do. Yeah, Procompsignathus. Gallimimus, Mr. Mimus. That's a Pokemon's. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, Ryan, look, we've been too dependent on big silicone for all these years. We just need to use uh, different materials. Like you yeah. said, dope. Get, get into dope. No, oh, we're going to stop doing the doping. What? We're just going to use... If you were to ask me, I think the most promising new transistor semiconductor is something called graphene. Graphene? You mean like the one that Sean wrote over and over again in his documents? Yes. He just wrote graphene, 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 graphene. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, graphene is actually a very simple, very, very simple... Uh, molecule that is all around you if you have a lot of pencils ah! around you oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. so it's in, graphite is actually a millions of graphene layers combined together it is simple pencil lead it is just carbon at one of its most basic forms and what makes graphene so special is that this is yes graphite but it is a single atom layer of graphite and the interesting part about this is that when it comes to the atomic level, the atomic level is what we consider to be 2D. So graphene is technically the first 2D nosy axis by our standards uh, compound that we have. 
then we can do a single layer that's a single atom. And Did you say nosy axis? Yes, it's nosy. It wants to know everything about your personal life, what's in your refrigerator, what's in your medicine cabinet. Do you pick up your dog's poop? <coughs> what's the so, deal with this? Does it work for TMZ? Yes, it does. Uh, it could in the future, depending on what type of computing technology TMZ likes to use. Uh, so graphene is this little uh, hexagonal shape, which is just six sides of uh, six uh, carbon molecules. Number of the beats. Yes. Um, Coincidence. <laughs> the beats banging on a trash can. Doug, Doug funny? No, I don't no. Know. No? You, you never watched Doug? I, you know what? My idiot roommate did see Doug from time to time, but um, he found the animation style was uh, unappealing. And just couldn't get you into it. You gotta go it. for the story, not the art, man. Come on. I, I don't know. There's a reason why your roommate's an idiot, I guess. He's but you real should like it. But yeah, you should like it. So anyway, uh, graphene is uh, this little hexagonal structure of carbon molecules. Uh, atoms, I'm so sorry to say that. It makes a molecule. And the way this is so interesting is that, number one, how small it is. It's extremely flat to the point it's the flattest thing you can get. And it can be stacked over and over and over and over and over again if you make transistors with this. So much so that 0.03 millimeters of pencil lead has about 3 million layers of graphene on it. Whoa. Yes, it is extremely tiny. And the way that this was found is really simple. In 2004, a couple of scientists got together and found a block of graphite and took some sticky tape and put it on the graphite and pulled it off. Then they took some more sticky tape and stuck it to that sticky tape and pulled that off and took some more sticky tape and stuck it to that sticky tape and pulled that off. And they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on and so on mm -hmm. till they got a single layer of graphene on there. And they won a Nobel Prize for it. So the, actually, the actual making of graphene or isolation of it is not that complicated. Now, actually making it into a viable... Uh, use is a little bit more cost. Uh, it, it, it has a little bit more cost involved into it. Ugh, that was a burp cough. <laughs> a buff? A buff? A buff? You got, you got a buff? I got a buff. <laughs> so, I got uh, a debuff. Also, okay. so the future of our computing technology may lie in just dumb old pencil lead. Yes, also because graphene is so flexible. You can make flexible electronics with it. You can make a flexible smartphone if you wanted to. And also, it's extremely durable. Graphene is stronger than diamond itself, which is also what? a bunch of carbon uh, atoms arranged in a certain way, but graphene is stronger. And I remember seeing some sort of hyperbole in a video where it would take the weight of an elephant to stand on a pencil that has uh, its pencil lead made up of graphene to actually break it. What? So, yes, it's extremely strong. Not only that, it is something called a superconductor, or at least oh. it can be. It has these really wacky properties where, as I was talking about Ohm's Law, where the, you have voltage equals um, resistance times current, which I think I messed up. I, I messed up earlier in the... Uh, take that back. It's not voltage equals current over resistance. It's actually resistance times current. Anyway, 
Continuing. Yeah, a lot of a lot of listeners just like ripped their headphones out and threw their iPods across the room when Well, that was there. a half hour ago, so I'm scared that they may have done that way long ago. I fixed it. I fixed it. I fixed it. <laughs> it turns out that you can take resistance out of the equation for these superconductors and there is no energy loss. They would ideally be this perfect electron transfer tube and nothing else would be lost. It's it's a very interesting uh, phenomenon, but the thing is, the superconductors that we know of right now, one of them being mercury, is that you have to get them to almost zero Kelvin, which is absolute zero. Uh, only a little bit above. Now, there are ones that can get closer to room temperature, but they it takes a lot of energy to keep them that cold. Graphene may be able to become a superconductor at very nearly room temperature levels. And the cool part about superconductors is they can actually, if you put something uh, magnetic in their field, it'll make them levitate. They, they have this thing where they let, they don't like, superconductors don't like magnetic fields going through them. They push the flux outside of them and they can actually just have anything floating a, uh, above it. It's it's a really cool phenomenon. They actually use these in things like uh, maglev trains. So, Whoa. yes. And I don't know if a flux capacitor would be a thing in the future, but it's, Something that might be a thing. Who knows? Uh, Doc Brown was a fraud. Uh, but <laughs> So the other last interesting thing about it is that as opposed to just about every other material on Earth, when you, uh, aside from shrinky dinks, of course, when you apply heat to graphene, it shrinks. And when you apply, well, when you take heat away from it, as it cools down, it can expand. So much so that it can expand to about 25% of its length, which is pretty impressive. Hmm. So the interesting part about graphene is that it can be used as it can be used for superstructures. Like if you are aware of uh, Arthur C. Clarke's concept of the space elevator, that's what they, bl- they that's what they would make it out of. Of course, the space elevator. It's a giant ladder that goes to the space. That exactly that, <laughs> except <laughs> the rails between the elevator are about twelve miles apart, and it goes all the way into, as you said, space. So it would take some very strong material in lightweight material, lighter than aerogel, to actually work into uh, being able to hold such an elevator. Uh, all the things it can be used for is nanobots, as I said before. These nanobots. things, nanobots, these can be used to make bananas. Or they can be used what? to be very, 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 very tiny to the point they're smaller than any silicon transistor that we have right now and can go around and do little operations like they can uh, let's see what can nanobots be used for. They can be used for healing people and fixing their lungs and removing cancer, or they can be used for killing people by messing up their lungs and giving them cancer <laughs> um, at a genetic level. They can do so many different things. They can make their own structures. They can reproduce themselves. They are just these amazing, almost limitless application theoretical robots that can be a thing if we find a way to make transistors smaller and make our computing power faster and more power efficient. Right. So, it sounds to me like nanobits are the perfect hybrid of your two top things on the list of modern society. They are modern medicine and transistors. Yes. And then also you have gray goo, which can happen, which is a, I, I think it's a scare thing. Um, do, I have prefer you ever... gray goose. <laughs> yes. Gray it's goose. a little bit extra, but I think it's worth you're, it. You're a bit bougie for me, Dottore. 
Well, I'm a man of science. I happen to occupy a stately manse, of course. And, uh, you know, when you get to be of a certain age, you stop drinking Popov and <laughs> other laughable drinks, and you, you, you treat yourself a little. I don't like vodka. I am of the idea that it's not a good alcohol if the, when the better it is, the less you can taste it. And that's exactly what vodka is. That's why I stick with Boone Farms, MD2020, Old English, and uh, <laughs> what others? Hmm. Anyway, that's enough uh, bum wine. So like we're going to... Zima. <laughs> you can't even get that anymore. You can only get that on the black market. That's right, with the Four Loco. Oh, the, the original Four Loco. They, they should just make a coffee flavor to get around that. Anyway, so other things that graphene can be used for aside from nanobots is water filtration. You can actually make uh, graphene into a structure that is so airtight, literally, that not even a hydrogen atom can get through it. What? Yes. So you can retrofit these to be able to be a certain uh, diameter, the little holes between the structure in the graphene, that you can pass salt water through a graphene uh, filter mm -hmm. and pretty much filter out everything else, including all the salt, all the bacteria, all the dirt, everything, and get pure drinking water. So oh. any places that have a drinking water shortage can just use the ocean. If they don't have an ocean, they're still screwed, but whatever. Um, but you can essentially just use the ocean to get clean water, which is a monumental hurdle that we have to get over with a growing population and just not having enough clean water these days. I mean, not even California has enough actual fresh water. So that's one interesting, uh, it's another interesting thing for it. Another one is interesting light bulbs being no light bulbs. What? Gra graphene is also able to emit electrons in the form of light or really photons anyway. Um, when you have enough of an excited state of electrons, they can actually push off some light or photons that is, and you can make this like graphene paper that can actually emit light. So one application that people think in the future will be having wallpaper that just is your light source in your room. Wow. So yeah, there science. are so many other things. Yes. Science in graphene is the miracle worker, supposedly. Now, I don't want to be one of those people that's just going to say, like, oh, this is going to change the world because there are still many production hurdles where the cost of it is just kind of uh, irrational to do right now. Uh, so much so that it costs about $1,000 for 0.35 grams of, ca of uh, graphene as of 2015, I want to say. Whoa. Yeah, it's expensive still. That's some good shit. But yes, it is some very good shit. But technically, you can make graphene at home if you have enough time and patience. So I'm sure they will find some better way to actually kind of wrangle these graphene little molecules up and make them behave a little bit better. But essentially, that is the future of our computing, is just finding a way to make semiconductors smaller so we can put more on a chip and so that chip can use less power and can do more computations per second and can just do them at a faster rate closer to the speed of light. I'm not going to get into quantum computing because I don't know enough about it to talk about it, but essentially they're going to get electrons to like be able to be quantumly entangled and whatever happens to one happens to the other in some bullshit ones and zeros and stuff like that to the point where your computer is just going to be a box of air. So whatever. Your computer is going to be a box of air. I'll give you a box of air. 
And thank you. And if you want to learn about quantum computing, dear listener, listen to the episode 49 of Blastro Podcast. Yes. That's that's the one right before you, Ryan. You worked backwards and went to the dumber topic afterwards. (laughs) You know what? It is dumber, but it's just as important. Yes, but ultimately transistors, like I said, are this modern miracle that allow us to do these little bits of ones and zeros, which really almost means nothing to us in terms of it's a light being on and off. But imagine just being able to make this lattice work of lights communicate a message to you. And that's essentially what this computer is doing, just via electrons and electricity, this lifeblood. That's enough of your fucking nerd stuff, Ryan. Do you know what time it is? No. What time is it? It's time for plugs. It's time, time for plugs. It's time for plugs, not drugs, but plugs. Give me a hug. Did you say butt plugs? Yes, I did. Sexy. You're like <laughs> the fourth guest to ever identify that. You put us in a mood, Dottore. It's a, 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 yeah, I really, I try to train my guests to listen to that final bit and decode it. You're um, the one that suggested that doctor's offices should have little uh, kids things made of anal beads. So I didn't, I didn't say they should. I say they do, and I take full advantage. No, I can't do the popping noise. I can't do it. I was going to make it for fun effect. It, Ryan, here's the thing. Any bead <laughs> can be an anal bead if you just use it right. Yes. <laughs> and as we talked about Tom Waits' podcast previously, anything can be a cigarette if you try hard enough. That's right. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything you'd like to plug to our internewed audience? Yes. Uh, rumorfliespodcast.com. Or if you're using a phone, just look up Rumorflies on any app you have because it's probably on there. And I also have another nerd thing, a, a Twitch stream called Instant 3 Play, where we play things like the Jackbox Party Pack Ooh. with friends and audience members. And uh, we also do a bunch of other usually spookier games, but uh, it's a fun little thing. Me and the fiancé do it with our friend uh, Alex, and we just have a good time on play video games. That sounds good. But go to Rumor Flies first. That's uh, that's the real bread maker for me. (laughs) Rumor Flies is where you're going to get an education on the myth of the modern era. Uh, The Twitch stream, you're just going to get titillated. No, that is banned by Twitch. No, no titillations. <laughs> but I bought all those special tokens. So, that's how so, you can find me. Well, <clears throat> if you, uh, sweet listener, uh, want to support Blaster Podcast, please check us out at Patreon. You can find us at Patreon slash Blaster Podcast, probably. Um, and get free, not free... <laughs> <laughs> and for a modest fee, you can get extra sweet bonuts content. Um, I don't know. You said free. It's the first thing you said. That's It's on a podcast. It's recorded. I mean, it was free for me because I made it. Okay. Subscribe to Blaster Podcast if you haven't, and rate and review it. Ryan, it's so sad. This is the end of the show. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. I just, uh, I, I just want to talk about transistors forever. We can. I mean, if you want to. After where people can't listen because it's transistors after dark. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I smell a sub podcast. The transistor cast. Transistors after dark with Ryan oh. and Mark. Because I, 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 oh, I, oh, 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 I, I got to get my sleep after dark, Ryan. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Mark. I, we we've got some rapport. We'll, we'll be able to do what? Oh, okay. I thought you called me by my dark name. 
No, I would not call you by your <laughs> by the darkest of marks. But you no, I was saying you know, the dark cool. half with John Lithgow. I remember the dark crystal with Puppet. <laughs> Oi, Puppet. Hi, <laughs> Puppet. Oh, <laughs> uh, Skeksis. The Blaster Podcast theme song was composed by Stephen Poon. www.timecrashband.com. <laughs>